Can we uh, open our Bibles, please, the passage we read in John chapter 4. Let's just read again in verse 13 to give us a bit of orientation. John 4, verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I wouldn't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go back, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. <clears throat> There's quite a, a growth industry in celebrity couples who kind of get together and then split up, and then after a few years again, they get back together again. It's really quite a thing. Um, and I noticed one or two couples, most of them are actually names to me. I haven't got a clue who these folk are, and if they are in the room today, I apologize. There's Justin Timberlake and Jessica Beale. Again, whom I've never seen, I wouldn't know them uh, if I, I, I met them. They got together, split up, and are, are back together again. I don't know what the present status is today. Khloe Kardashian, I've heard of her, and Tristan Thompson, whom I have never heard, did exactly the same thing. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, again, that happened to them. And there was a couple called Cardi B and Offset. Um, I don't know, but the same thing happened to them. And, of course, the same thing happened to our dear Prince of Wales, William and Kate. Everybody loves a great relationship story, a story where folk uh, get, uh, fall out and maybe come together again and find that elusive factor of love the second or maybe the third time. Everyone loves a good relationship story. But what we have in chapter 40 of John is not Mills and Boone. It's not some kind of romantic story that's way up there in the ether. It is very, very real and could be happening today in this fair town of Dunfermline. The woman in this story craves love. And that is most basic. I think that is true for every single person. That that is what they do. They just crave love. People want to be secure. People want to have that very special person in their life that they can love, that they can be at home with, and who feel that they cherish them and really have met all their desires. Uh, when I was young, there was a a group uh, called the Seekers, and uh, my mum used to play the Seekers on her radiogram. Uh, it's a thing that we had in the 60s. And I, I remember one of the Seekers songs that stuck with me for over 50 year, years, a world of our own. And one of the lines was, we'll build a world of our own that no one else can share all our sorrows We'll leave far behind us there. All I know you will find there will be a peace of mind when we live in a world of our own. This is a woman who dreamed that dream five times. And yet she was divorced five times. And now she was living with a woman who was not her husband. We know that she wasn't an immoral woman because if she had been an adulteress, she would have been dead. She would have been stoned. So she missed a bullet or missed a stone rather, five times. So this was someone who was again in this relationship, perhaps 
through no fault of her own. And again, people today are looking for so much in relationships. We're known as the Bridget Jones generation, just that elusive desire to find that very special something. And I wonder, are we looking for too much in our relationships? Is that one of the reasons why there is this universal sense of dissatisfaction, this thing that relationships can never give enough, that that special person is never special enough, and that magical person, the person of our dreams, is never a reality? Of course, uh, Michel Proust, the, the, the French novelist, was right when he said this, ultimately, all relationships are disappointing. Maybe he overstated it a little bit. Ultimately, all relationships are disappointing because we are imperfect people and we do not live in a perfect world and none of us are married to the perfect person. Someone may come after me after the servant and say, you're wrong, I am married to the perfect person. But all of us at some time have shown some degree of disappointment. And so this is a passage about ultimate fulfillment. Verse 14 says that, that you will never thirst again. So let me look at John chapter 4. Let me look at the first 26 verses. And as we go through these 26 verses, I want us to notice three things that really stick out, hopefully not just for me, but for all of us. Number one is really simple. It's, it's Jesus sees a person. Let me unpack that a little bit. Jesus sees a person. Each person that Jesus met is treated individually. He doesn't see them as a package he doesn't unfold some kind of formula to them. He actually sees them with very specific needs. Uh, on a radio program recently, folk were discussing beggars in the streets of Edinburgh. You walk along Princess Street, there's always beggars there. And one lady says, yeah, you, you walk along and there are these lumps in the pavement. There are no lumps on the pavement. There are men and women who have been made in the image of God. Men and women who once perhaps had, many of them, ambitions. People who are very special. People who really are miracles. People who are reflections of who God is. And so let's not look as people as just nondescript, uniform individuals. Jesus met her and Jesus sees a person. We cannot deal with folk in terms of formulas all the time. Some weeks ago I had cause to phone the ambulance service. I came across someone lying in the road near where I live and they were absolutely comatose. I felt for a pulse and uh, you know I'm no medical expert. I have a, a, a no-grade biology but uh, I, I realized this person's not well and I phoned the ambulance. And it was the most frustrating phone call I've ever made in my life. Because the ambulance operator, and again, excuse me, if there are ambulance operators here, you can explain this afterwards. The person went through this protocol. Can the person say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, was one of the questions. 
And I said, the person is barely breathing. Ask them where, ask them where, I said, stop. This person is almost dead. And they would not stop. They kept going down this flow chart. And it was the most frustrating experience of my life. Because the flow chart seemed to me to be more important than the needs of the person. This was no flowchart object in John chapter 4. Jesus sees a person. What was her identity? Threefold. Number one, she was a woman. Now, isn't it interesting? You look at it, that, that is mentioned specifically. Verse 7, verse 9, verse 11, verse 15, verse 19, verse 21, verse 25. You get it. She was a woman. Now, we would say that's stating the obvious, perhaps. But it's not the obvious. We simply, from the perspective of our age and generation and culture, because remember, when what we're doing today is, we, we're looking at John chapter 4. We're looking at events of 2,000 years ago and a totally different culture. So we're looking at literally another world. So it's, it's really important for us to understand this world. And I cannot begin to tell you how despised women were in first century Palestine. They were non-entities. A male Jew would wake up every morning and say, I thank God that I am not a Gentile. I am not a, a dog. And I am not a woman. They were non-people. And a teacher with the status of Jesus would not even speak to a woman. You see that in some Eastern cultures today. You see a man and a woman talking, and a very religious person will not even speak to the woman. So do not come and say that Christianity has repressed women. That may have, and, and I'll put my hand up to that, but Jesus certainly did not do that. In fact, Jesus liberated women. Jesus sparked the movement that women enjoy a degree of liberty today that would have been unimaginable if it were not. And this is a bold cry. But if it were not for Jesus of Nazareth who turned the world upside down, Jesus saw a person and Jesus saw a woman and it didn't matter to him. Gender was not an issue as far as he was concerned. This was someone who had a need and was made in the image of God. Jesus saw a person, he saw a woman. And then he saw a Samaritan, it's mentioned in verse 7. It's mentioned twice in verse 9. And it's mentioned again in verse 22. So again, that's important if it is repeated. It's important to us. Brief bio. There was bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. It went back centuries. Many of the Jews were exiled to a country we call Babylon. And uh, some of them kind of mixed with the Babylonians. And they married the Canaanites. And they come up with all this weird religion. And so the Samaritans had a kind of weird religion, a bit of Jewish stuff a bit of Canaanite religion stuff. And Canaanite religion was really all over the place. It was kind of like, like, like voodoo. Voodoo, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons all mixed into one. That's what the Samaritans were. They were religiously weird. And they were considered, because of their religion, 
they were considered not only heretics, they were considered racially inferior. And so in terms of off the scale, you know, Protestants, Catholics, <laughs> that, that's far too simple. Samaritans really were considered odd, weird, and not to be spoken of. Indeed, when the disciples passed the Samaritan women, they would probably have just brushed her aside. What a horrible thing religion is. Religion stinks, doesn't it? That's why Jesus Christ did not come to form a new religion. Jesus came to abolish religion. He is God. And when I say that to folk, they often, to use a word I've used once already today, discombobulated. That, that, what are you saying? Yeah, we, we, we are not trying to sell a religion. We're not trying to sell one product among a whole selection of other ones. We, we are talking about a person. We're talking about Jesus. How many of us have been brought up and we've been messed up by religion? I can put my, 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 my head, my, my, my hand up. A psychologist could work in me night and day and still not get to the bottom of my religious neurosis. And whatever religious background you have come from, I'm sure that you can tell the same story, that it's religion that's led to maybe part of the really balanced person that you are today. But Jesus saw her gender, Jesus saw her religion, and she was a Samaritan. But Jesus also saw her needs. Jesus saw that she was someone who was far from God. The word we give that is sin. She was a sinner. Now I'm really conscious that when I use that word sinner, what comes out of my mouth is not the same thing that's heard by, by people. Uh, a sinner is someone who's, the, the original word comes from a word of archery, someone who's just missed the bullseye, constantly missed the bullseye. And that's, I guess, all of us. None of us are perfect. The, 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 now, there's a question here. If you're really into the Bible and if you're into texts, if you're into literature, and I hope you are because the Bible is a text. You know, if you're together in a, a Bible study here, a great question about chapter 4 of John's Gospel was, was this woman a victim or did she have agency in her condition? I think there's a bit of both. It's like complex. In many ways, she does have agency. Jesus challenged her. The guy you're now with is not your husband. She had a degree of agency. But on the other hand, she was also little more than a, a traffic slave. She's certainly regarded as being loose. She's out in the midday sun. She's contrasted to chapter 3. There's another character in chapter 3 called Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you've got the respectable man. And chapter 4, you've got the non-respectable woman. She's regarded as being certainly not in the mainstream in terms of morality is concerned. But the point is, Jesus sees the person. And it doesn't put him off. It says there in verse 3, uh, verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. Well, he technically, he, he, he didn't. You know, it wasn't the most straightforward, but in terms of God's prophecy, he had to, to go there. Who, who are you? What barrier have you got? What 
in your personhood, in your identity? What is there that would prevent Jesus from engaging with you, meeting with you, loving you, calling you to himself? In the city of uh, Basel in Switzerland, they've got a, a festival. It's a bit like Mardi Gras. Uh, they call it the Fastnacht. And so everybody wears masks at Fastnacht and go a bit crazy, as crazy as people can go. And uh, they, 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 they just go out on, on, on the streets. And very often during Fastnacht, the week before Fastnacht, there's a very popular poster appears in many of the churches. And uh, it says uh, in German, Gott seid auch hinter deiner Maske, which is very easy to translate. God sees behind your mask. <laughs> We've all got masks here, haven't we? But Jesus sees the person that we are. God sees behind our masks. And the only prerequisite for coming to Jesus is that awakening that we have a mask, that awakening that we have a need. Jesus sees a person. The second thing we notice in the passage here is that Jesus makes a promise. So uh, this happened uh, near a well, verse 6. The well is a central factor in the story. The story is built around the image of the well. Wells are very symbolic in the Bible, especially in, in terms of marriages. A lot of engagements were made near wells. A lot of marriage contracts were made near near wells. If you have a young lady you or gentleman you want to propose to, it can go either way in this age of equality. A good place to take them would be near a well, because it's really so symbolic. So the passage rolls around this image of a well and water. And then Jesus says, verse 7, will you give me a drink? And uh, they get onto this discussion about living water, uh, verse 13, 14, 15. And they're kind of talking about cross purposes. The woman thinks he's speaking about like water, H2O. Uh, but Jesus is actually speaking about something very, very deeper. She thinks he's talking, when he says living water, about flowing water. But he's, he's talking metaphorically. He's talking about water that gives life, abundant life, and so much more. And Jesus is making a big claim. Indeed, look at verse 14. It's huge. Indeed, he says, the water I give him, or them, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is what we're offering. This is what we are offering today in this really simple building in Masterton Primary School of a group of, with the greatest respect, ordinary people, gathered together, and yet we are being offered verse 14. We are being offered something as a spring of water which leads to eternal life. Folks, this is big. The offer of the gospel is huge. 
Someone may say, well, so what are you trying to say that the Christian message is something that actually is the most revolutionary thing in the world that actually leads to eternal life? That's exactly what we're saying. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 14. The water will become in them a spring of water. For satisfaction, most of us think of external things. I love language. I love the phrases that people make. A big one recently is, I've heard this a lot, folk talk about my forever house. And people will say, yeah, just been to the estate and found our forever house. Now, you'd be a bit of a spoiler if you said, well, it's not exactly your forever house because you will die one day. That's not really how to cheer folk up at a dinner party. But that's the reality. There's no such thing as a forever house. And as a pastor, I've always also heard folks saying, I thought it would have been my forever house, but. That forever house, that perfect man, that perfect woman, that thing that will bring that silver bullet that will change life, that will really alter everything when so-and-so get into power, when so-and-so gets out of power, when we see a change in political philosophy, then this green and pleasant land of Scotland or UK, whatever your politics are, will be amazing. We just need a change of government. <laughs> We want too much out of the forever things that are never forever. I could not name five current actresses or actors or actors. Couldn't name five. I'm culturally clueless. But I can name some old school ones. Sophia Loren. Again, she was my kind of era. Sophie Loren gave a really interesting interview about 10 years ago in Vanity Fair. She also did a really good Desert Island disc, but Sophie Loren did this interview in, in Vanity Fair, and she said this. She's one of the most beautiful women in the world. She said this quote, My life is not a fairy, ta a fairy tale. There's an emptiness which is impossible to fulfill. This is the John Four woman. There is this emptiness that's impossible to fulfill. There is this, this sense of, of vacuousness. Okay, if you're old and you're into social, or in here's someone for the middle-aged, Pink Floyd, High Hopes. Um, remember that verse in that Pink Floyd song? Encumbered forever. Isn't that a great line? Encumbered forever by desire and ambition. There's a hunger still unsatisfied. Our weary eyes still stray to the horizon, though down this road we've been so many times. Great lyric. Our weary eyes still stray to the horizon. But Jesus says, that void can be filled, will be filled, not by a, a thing, but by a person. C.S. Lewis spoke about, quote, that inconsolable longing in the heart for what we know not.
Jesus then moves on with the woman. Verse 16. Go call your husband. I have no husband. She could have been a politician, couldn't she? Just doesn't answer the question. She tries to spin it. And Jesus says, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with is not your husband. Verse 18. Isn't it interesting? Again, there's the image of a well. Here's a little thing in for free. What does she take to the well? She takes an empty pot. Is that, could that be another kind of metaphor? Maybe I'm going a bit too far there. Maybe. But I don't think it's all that insignificant. Time's going. Thirdly, uh, Jesus sees the person was the first thing. Jesus makes a promise was the second thing. The third thing, my favorite one, is Jesus reveals himself. Verse 19, I mean, she's done some, he's done something amazing. The guy, you've had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. In verse 19, she's impressed. Sir, she said, I can see that you are a prophet. She says, I'm in the company of a perceptive thinker. Now, when you're in the company, when you realize you're in the company of a perceptive thinker, you... You ask them a question. You know, you've got a friend round and he's a plumber. And you say, ah, I've had this problem with my, my taps for, for, for a long time. And you, you'll ask a question. You can see that you're a perceptive plumber. Tell me. Now, she does the same, but it's religion. Ah, I can see that you're a prophet. I've got this question, she says. We Samaritans... We worship on this particular mountain, which was called Mount Gerizim. You guys, you Jews, you worship in that mountain, Mount Zion. Who's right? And Jesus says, verse 21, it's not about mountains. You missed the point. Jesus missed the point, but he's really honest. And he says, verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. He says, you Samaritans, let me paraphrase, are absolutely clueless. You guys are in a fog in terms of your religion. You haven't got a faintest idea about worship. That's what verse 22 says. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. You are so mixed up, you're crazy. But he says there is a truth. There is a truth. And he's saying there in verse 22, and that comes from the Jews. They have been given the scriptures. They have been given the revelation of God. The big story that you're going to be talking about tonight. The big story doesn't start in Matthew. The big story starts in Genesis. It's the story of God dealing with his people. And Jesus is saying, if you want to get to the root of real faith, you go right back to the beginning of Jewish religion. It's not about mountains. It's about, verse 24, worshipping God in spirit and in truth. (coughs) That's my favorite bit. The woman says, yeah, 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 yeah. All that is true. And then she says this, when Messiah comes, he will explain it. And Jesus says, I who speak to you, am he. <gasps> By a well, at midday, this ordinary looking guy 
is Messiah. That's the claim of Christianity. We're looking for a Messiah. We're looking for a Gandalf figure, aren't we? That's the bomb. And also, here's the twist. He's the sixth husband, isn't he? He is the sixth and final husband in a spiritual sense. Because that's what wells are all about. Rebecca, the future wife of Isaac, met him at a well. Isaac and Rebecca's son, Jacob, met his future bride, Rachel, at a well. And Moses met his wife, Zipporah, at a well. So, forget a dating app. Get yourself to a well. Let's conclude. This woman was changed, wasn't she? Verse 39. There was a movement in Samaria. We're coming to a conclusion here. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritan women from that time believed in him because of this woman's test. That's how the church grows. It's not rocket science. It's not complex. And then she makes this bold claim in verse uh, uh, 40. Uh, the bold claim is made in verse 42. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This man really is the saviour of the world. Let's conclude. Verse 28. She left her water jar and she went and told the people. Love C.S. Lewis. There's um, lots of C.S. Lewis books and then we quote from the silver chair. And um, Aslan's a lion. Okay, are you thirsty, says the lion. I'm dying of thirst, says Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and by a very low growl. We promise not to do anything to me, Joe said to the lion. Do you eat girls, she says. The lion replies, I have swallowed up. Girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms. I don't dare come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Father, thank you for your word, for its power. May we experience that today. Amen.